Hello, and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Whether you are a member of our church family, either in person or online, or just checking us out for the first time, we believe that you belong here at New Hope Church, and we hope that this message speaks to you today. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv, and we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses into the service today. Those of you at the 288 campus, the Friendswood campus, the Alvin campus, the Webster campus, the Pearland campus, and of course, all of you watching online. My name is John, and it is good to be in church today. You guys glad to be in church this morning? Well, if you are just joining us, this is the final week of a lesson series we've been doing called Act Like Men. And this series has been so good. It's been so timely. And I'm just so thankful for men like Pastor Tim who are not afraid to stand on the truth of God's word. In fact, can we just honor our pastor today and give him a big round of applause? Absolutely. By the way, Pastor Tim and 91 New Hopers are currently in the Holy Land. They are in Israel where the Bible is literally coming to life. And so I'm going to encourage you to be praying for them. Pray that they have a great experience and that they can get back home safely. Well, uh, today I want to get started in the same place that we've started every week. That's with our key text, our key verses. These verses can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to put them on the screen. What I want you to do is read the highlighted words out loud with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting with verse 13, says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, these two verses uh, contain five commands, and to help you visualize how these commands relate to one another, we've been using a car. More specifically, we've been using the wheel from a car, and as you can see, this wheel has four spokes representing what it looks like to act like men. Now, in week one, Pastor Tim talked to us about why it's important that we be watchful. Then in week two, he talked about what it means to stand firm in the faith, and then last Last week, he talked about how to be strong as we surrender ourselves to the Lord. Today, we're going to be looking at the fourth spoke in this final phrase, which is, let all you do be done in love. Of course, each week, you've been hearing that every spoke has equal value and equal weight. But if I'm honest with you, uh, this last command feels just a little bit out of place. That's because when I think about men, I don't normally think about love. Being watchful, yes. Standing firm, yes. Being strong, absolutely. Love, ah, not so much. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that I think that men are incapable of love. I just don't think that most men would define who they are or what they do using that word. I think that guys would prefer to define themselves using words like tough or driven or courageous. Guys might use words like competitive, hard-charging, or resourceful. I think there's any number of words that a guy would use, but I'm not sure that love would necessarily be at the top of anyone's list. And yet Paul commands men, let all that you do be done in love. So why, why did Paul include this command on the list? I mean, he's, is he just trying to squeeze one more in to sound a little bit more spiritual? Is that, that's what, is that what he's doing? Like when we say, God bless you after somebody sneezes, is that what's going on? 
I actually don't think that's what's going on. I, I believe that Paul is being intentional. In fact, I believe that Paul saved the most important and most challenging command for the last. Why would I say that? Well, think about it this way. What did Jesus say was the greatest command? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said the greatest command is love. Got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. You got to love your neighbor as yourself. Then in John chapter 15, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Paul would have known this. Paul would have known that Jesus placed a high priority on love. And so I think by adding this final command, I don't believe Paul is lowering the bar or lowering the standard. I actually believe he's raising the bar. He's raising the standard when it comes to acting like men. So what does it mean to love? Well, to answer that question, I want to go back to the language that the Bible or the New Testament was written in. That would be the Greek language. I don't know if you know this, but in the English, love, we, uh, English language, we only have one word for love. That's the word love. Right. Not a trick question there. Okay. So, <laughs> only, got one, only got one word in the English language for love. That would be love. In the Greek language, they have four words for love. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them on the screen. Here, here they are. The first type would be eros love, and this is a romantic love. This is an attractional love. This is, this is what I felt when my wife Irene walked past me for the first time and I did like a double take. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is the kind of love that happens between a husband and a wife. Then there's phileo love, and that's a brotherly love. This is the kind of love that's shared between friends. Uh, then we have storge love, which is a family love, and this one's fun to me because uh, you can't choose this one. You, you can choose these first two right here, right? You can choose your spouse. You can choose your friends. You know, who, you know who you can't choose? Your family, which means you might not like them, but you got to storgate them, okay? You got you to love them, all right? And then finally, there's agape love, and this is unconditional love. By the way, this is the love that Paul's talking about and referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, and it is the highest level of love, highest form of love, which is a little ironic because it's on the bottom of our list, but it's the highest form of love because it's a sacrificial love. It's a, it's a you-before-me type of love. What's, what's interesting to me is that this type of love is not always reciprocal, Meaning I can extend this love to someone that I know and they may never, ever, never, ever, never, ever choose to extend that same love back to me. And yet this is the kind of love that Paul is calling men to. It's not an easy kind of love. It's probably the toughest love there is. I could illustrate it this way. Years ago, I was driving uh, from Los Angeles, California to Las Vegas, Nevada. I was taking a little road trip out there, and I can remember being on Highway 15 somewhere out there in the middle of the desert when a guy pulls up next to me riding a motorcycle, and I remember it because it was like a scene out of the, the movie uh, Easy Rider. And some of, you, some of you older folks in the room, you, you might remember this movie, some of you younger people. You're going to have to Google it, okay? I don't know what to tell you, but this guy pulls up next to me. It's, it's like a scene out of Easy Rider. He's got the chopper with the ape hanger handlebars and the, the, the lauded, you know, exhaust. He's, he's wearing a leather vest. He's got tattoos on both arms. He's got sunglasses on his face. His hair is blowing back in the wind. He's got bugs in his teeth, you know? 
Actually, I don't know about that <laughs> because I didn't get a good enough look at him because he didn't hang around long enough. You know, he hit the throttle and just roared off down, down the highway. And I, I got to be honest with you, as, as I was watching him drive off in the distance, I was a little bit envious. I, I was thinking, man, that's, that, that's how a man travels across country right there. A man goes across country on the back of a motorcycle, and, and someday I'm going to do the same thing just as soon as I get permission from my wife, you know. <laughs> You're laughing, but that's real, right? <laughs> that is, woo, okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what am I talking about? Okay, uh, fa- fast forward a little bit, fast forward a little bit, fast forward a few miles down, down the road, and I see this guy again, only this time he's not roaring past me. Instead, he's pulled over on the side of the road where he had stopped to help some random family change a tire on their vehicle. And man, as I passed by that time, I, I just had like this whole new level of respect for him. I thought, that's not just a man. That's a man's man right there because he's obviously a tough guy, but he was compassionate enough to stop and help someone who was in need. And that is a picture of agape love. You see, agape love is a love that's willing to do whatever necessary to help others who are in need. Now, earlier I said that love might not necessarily be the first phrase we think about when we hear that idea, act like men, be watchful, yes, stand firm all day long, be strong, 100%. But Paul would say this to us. He would say, if you don't get the last one right, if you don't get love right, none of the rest of it will matter. In fact, I want to I back up from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And what you need to know about this church is they had all kinds of problems. There were some scandalous issues going on in this church. You can read all about it in 1 Corinthians uh, if you want to. But in chapter 13, we find one of the biggest problems that they were facing, one of their biggest challenges. And so what I want to do is as I read these first three verses. I just want you to listen and see if you can't pick up on what the issue might be with, with this church. So see what their problem might be. So here we go. First Corinthians chapter 13, starting with verse one, it says this, it says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, or if I surrender my body to be burned in the flames, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now, it might have been kind of hard to pick this up, but uh, how many of you think you know what the issue was in 1 Corinthians 13? What was the problem? Love was the problem, or a lack of love was the problem, right? Here's what's interesting to me, though. 1 Corinthians 13 is actually known as the great love chapter of the Bible, In fact, parts of 1 Corinthians 13 are often read during wedding ceremonies, but in the first three verses, Paul is trying to communicate to us why love matters so much. And I want you to keep in mind who it is that Paul is writing to. He's he's writing to Christians, right? He's writing to believers. He's writing to people who should know better, and yet Paul's trying to remind them. He says, hey, listen, if I don't have love, no one's going to listen to anything I have to say. No one's going to care about anything I know. Nobody's going to be interested in anything I believe. Even if I reverse tithe and give 90% of my income away, if I don't have love, it's not going to matter. 
So why is love so important? Well, I believe that Paul understood that love gives weight to our witness. Love gives weight to our witness. In fact, that's the key thought for today's message. Just, just turn to your neighbor right now and say, love gives weight. Love gives weight to my witness. You see, if I want my words to count with my children, if I want my advice to be received by my friends, if I want my faith to have an impact on my family, if I want anything I give to make a difference in this world, then I must have love because only love gives weight to my witness, which is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, Paul reminds all of us, but especially the men, let all let all, not just some, not just a little bit, not just what you feel like, let all that you do be done in love. And so as we close out this series, what I want to do today is actually leave you with three character traits for agape love. I want to give you three qualities of the greatest love that when applied to our lives will give weight to our witness. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down, but this would be number one, the greatest love cares about what God cares about most. The greatest love cares about what God cares about most. Now, through this series, we've been highlighting the fact that the world we live in is a much different place than it's ever been. Truth is under attack. Families are under attack. Men are under attack. And a lot of people are not quite sure what to do about it, including many churches. But I want you to know something, and hopefully this encourages you. What's happening in the world today is nothing new. Okay, it's not. It's not really not anything new. Because we have uh, a sin nature that all of us as humans are born with, because we have a real enemy who wants to destroy the work of God in our lives, the world has never been, nor will it ever be, a perfect place to live. Consequently, Christians have often been the ones caught in the crosshairs. And so a good question for us to ask would be, now that we're experiencing some pressure, now that things seem to be changing, how should we respond? How should we respond in a world that's made us, at times, the enemy? Well, I want you to check out what the Bible teaches on this subject. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 10. It says this. It says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents. What kind of residents? temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live such good lives among your unbelieving neighbors that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. Let me say it another way. They will see your love and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Now, according to scripture, there is a war being waged on this planet. But as Pastor Tim pointed out a couple of weeks ago, people are not the enemy. People are the prize, which is why the way we treat people, which is, which is why the way we love people is so, so very important. The problem is the crazier the world gets, the harder it becomes to love certain people. And that's especially true when those people are pushing an agenda or they are coming after what we believe. Sadly, I've just noticed that when our faith or when our values come under attack, believers tend to respond in one of two ways. Either we will get defensive or we will get judgmental. Either we will get defensive, which means we kind of pull back and we build up a wall to protect ourselves, or we get judgmental, which means we kind of push people away to keep people at a distance. But listen to me, when we respond in either of these two ways, we miss out on our greatest calling. 
You see, God has not called us to hide from the world in a holy huddle, nor has he called us to look down our noses at people. Instead, God has called us to love. In fact, God's prime directive for the church is that we would take ground in this world, not just hold down the fort, which is why if we leave this place today and we don't love our city better, if we leave this place today and we don't love our families better, if we leave this place today and we don't love our neighbors better, our people far from God better, we are going to miss out on God's chief calling on our lives. We are called to care about and love the things that God cares about and loves the most. Now, when I think about loving people well, I think about a guy in our church named Aaron Hoot. Now, Aaron uh, started attending the Alvin campus back in 2015. Currently, he leads a student life group on Sunday nights, which I think is pretty cool. But uh, something else that he's doing, which is pretty amazing, is uh, for the last couple of months, every Saturday, he's been going downtown to hand out breakfast to people who are living on the streets of Houston. In fact, the day that this picture was taken right here, Aaron was passing out 1,000 Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits. Can I just get an amen for Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits? Absolutely, man. Woo, that's like a little piece of heaven right here on earth. I mean, that's some good stuff. But listen, that's cool that he's handing out breakfast, but what's really impressive to me is not that he's just handing out breakfast. He actually hangs around and he engages in a Bible study with anybody that's interested. And listen to me, he's making a difference in some people's lives. Now, the reason I'm telling you that story is not just because Aaron's a great guy and Aaron's doing a great thing, although he is a great guy and he is doing a great thing. I'm telling you that story because of his why. When I ask Aaron, why is it that you decided to do this? I mean, what got in your, why did you, why are you out there serving breakfast every Saturday morning and doing Bible studies with people that you've never met before? When I asked him that, he simply said this, God told me to start a homeless ministry and so I did. That was it. In other words, he's, he's basically saying, hey, I'm being obedient to the voice of God to love the people that God loves, and I'm going to do everything I can to care about what God cares about most. And I think that all of us, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've got to be engaged in the world in the same way. You see, it's not enough that I've been saved. It's not enough that my family knows Jesus. The reality is we live in a world that is lost and going to hell unless the people of God care enough to do something about it. And honestly, yeah. And honestly, that's why I love New Hope Church. More specifically, that's why I love the men of New Hope Church because we got guys who care about what God cares about most. In fact, just, just last weekend, we had 41 guys at all five of our campuses grilling 8,500 hamburgers and hot dogs, okay? I mean, who, who does that? More importantly, why, why would we do that? Well, because we care. That's why, because we love. That's why. And so we had guys out there just grilling away so that the other people could experience the love of God. But just so you know, we, we had guys serving everywhere at all of our campuses and it happens all, all, all year long. We've got men that are leading men's life groups where lives are being transformed. We've got, we've got men who are on the eyes and ears teams at every campus that are protecting our kids and, and our families. We've got, we got guys that are serving in New Hope kids. We've got guys that are serving in New Hope students on the connections teams. We've got guys that are, that are serving as prayer partners. We've got guys doing anything and everything. And I believe that they do it because they know that when the men of the church stand up and show the world how much we care, it changes. 
changes things. And so can we just give our guys another round of applause for all they do? Thank you for your service. And if you're not on a serve team, you're not on a ministry team, hey, we got plenty of room for you too. But uh, thank you for the way that you love and show love to other people. We got, we got to care about what God cares about most. That does bring us to the second character trait of agape love. Here it is. The greatest love strives to connect before it tries to correct. The greatest love strives to connect before it tries to correct. Check out Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, starting with verse 14, it says this, We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Now, I've heard it said that all truth without love is hurtful, while all love without truth is not helpful. All truth, hurtful. All love, not helpful. The problem is that most of us fall into one of those two camps, and that is true for men as well. Either we can be too aggressive with people, which is hurtful, or we can be too passive with people, which is not helpful. But Scripture tells us there is a better way. Scripture tells us that we need to balance truth and love. So, so how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I think it helps when we get the order right. And getting the order right means that we speak the truth only after we've earned the right to be heard. And nobody did this better than Jesus Christ, our Savior. In fact, all throughout the Gospels, we find stories of people who were nothing like Jesus, who wanted to spend time with Jesus. Although Jesus was perfect in every single way, people who were imperfect in every single way were still drawn to him. So why is that? Why did that happen? Well, I think it's because Jesus knew how to connect with people while at the same time still being honest with people. And a great example of this can be found in Luke chapter 19. In Luke chapter 19, we are introduced to a man named Zacchaeus. And if you didn't grow up singing about Zacchaeus in Sunday school, I'll spare you that, okay? But if you, didn't grow, if you didn't grow up singing about Zacchaeus in Sunday school, here's what you need to know about Zacchaeus, all right? First of all, he was short, or as we used to sing, a wee little man, right? Wee little man. But he was also the chief tax collector of his city. Of course, being the chief tax collector meant that he was extremely wealthy, but it also meant that he was extremely despised by his community. In fact, everybody thought that Zacchaeus was a traitor and a thief. And the reason they thought that he was a traitor is because he worked for the Roman government, which was the enemy of the Jewish nation. But they thought he was a thief because he used his political position to actually take advantage of people financially. And so nobody wanted to spend time with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't welcome anywhere. They all thought he was a notorious sinner. But here's what's interesting. Zacchaeus wanted to meet Jesus. And to everyone's surprise, Jesus wanted to meet Zacchaeus as well. And here's how it worked. Uh, Jesus came to the city that Zacchaeus lived in. A giant crowd assembled at the road. Zacchaeus went out, but because he was too short, he couldn't see. And so he decided to climb up a tree so that he could get a better view. And as Jesus was coming by, he noticed Zacchaeus up in the tree, called him out by name. He said, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house to stay. 
told you I wasn't going to sing, but I couldn't help myself. There, there it was. <laughs> Some of you just had flashbacks. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, so we have no idea what they had for lunch. Maybe it was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I, I don't know. But, but, but we don't know anything about the conversation they had either. But, but we know that Jesus went to spend time with Zacchaeus and that they had lunch and that by the end of one meal, a radical transformation began to happen in Zacchaeus' heart. But by the end of one meal, Zacchaeus not only wanted to make things right with God, but he wanted to pay back every single person that he had taken advantage of financially. So how did that happen? Why did that happen? I believe it's because Jesus was able to balance truth and love. You may be thinking, well, that was Jesus. Or that was a long time ago. Does that kind of thing still happen today? My answer is yes, absolutely it does. In fact, the first time I experienced something similar, I was working the night shift in a donut shop. Uh, I was in college at the time. I uh, needed a job at night so that I could go to school during the day. And if you don't know this, uh, donuts get made at night, okay? So I went and applied at a donut shop. I got hired, went to the donut shop on the first night. And the guy training me, his name was Dennis. He was the kitchen manager. But Dennis, um, it it was weird. Uh, It didn't seem like he was really interested in helping me learn the ropes of becoming a donut maker, okay? Which is kind of important when you work at a donut shop. He didn't seem that interested. Instead, he spent most of the night on the phone. Like, like he would be on the phone, he would put the phone down, he would come over to my station, he would give me some instructions, you know, here's, here's what you need to do. He would look at me and say, do you understand? I would go, yeah, I think I, I think I get it. And then he would leave and get back on the phone. And so I would do whatever it was he told me to do. And several minutes later, he would hang up the phone, come back, give me some more instructions, say, do you understand? Yes. And then he would leave, you know, and I would try and do whatever. But all, all night, he's like doing this. All night, he's on the phone. Well, I finally catch enough of his conversation that I, that I discovered that Dennis had recently left his wife for another woman. And all night long, he's on the phone with both of them, okay? Talk, talk, about, talk about a mess, okay? I mean, it, 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 it was not pretty. So I understood why he was on the phone at that point. I said, dude, do, do what you need to do over there, okay? But I mean, it, it was a mess. Now, over the next few weeks, I, I, I kind of hung out with Dennis as he desperately tried to live a double, double life. But how many of you know you, you can't live a double life? And, and that was true with, with Dennis as well. Th- things didn't get better. Things, things started getting worse. And finally, one day, he, he, he came to me and he just began to share what was going on in his life. He began to confide in me. He began to tell me all the details that, that were happening in his life. And you know what I did that first night? Nothing. I just listened. I didn't call Dennis out for his behavior. I didn't condemn Dennis for what he was doing. I, I, ju- I just listened. And, and, and night after night, he, he would come in frustrated. He would, you know, just start sharing all the things that were going on in his life. And, and I would just listen. That is until finally one day he, he asked my opinion. And, well, when he asked my opinion, you know, <laughs> you know, your boy had to give it. <laughs> I had to let him know. I said, listen, here, here's what I think. I think that God has a better plan for you. I think the best thing that you can do is leave the girlfriend, go back to your wife and beg her to to forgive you and take you back. Now, he, he, he didn't like that plan at all, okay? He was pretty reluctant to that, but things never got better for Dennis. They just kept getting worse for Dennis. I said, man, God's got something better for you. He's got something better for your family. Why don't you come to church and see? And so he's like, well, I got nothing else to lose. So he would come to church with me every once in a while. We would talk and he would go back and forth. Finally, something began to change inside of Dennis to the point where He got to a place where he left the girlfriend, went back to his wife, begged her for forgiveness. She forgave him, and they moved back in together. 
The best part is a couple months later, I was able to baptize Dennis, his wife, and his son all in the same day, all in the same church. It was absolutely amazing. Now listen, I don't get any credit for that. I give God all the credit for that. I'm, I'm just a vessel, okay? That's it. But here, here's, here's what I, I want to ask you. How do you think Dennis would have responded if I had tried to correct his behavior before I connected with his heart? Pro- probably wouldn't have really wanted to listen to anything that I had to say. And so how about you? Men, is there a Dennis in your life? Is there a Zacchaeus in your life? Do you have children in your home who are rebelling against every value that you have or every rule that you have? Do you have a, a colleague who, who's, who's living a life that's far from God but desperately needs to experience the power of Jesus in their life? Well, well, if you do, why not love those people the way that Jesus loved people? Why not connect with people before you try and correct people? That does bring us to the final character trait of agape love. Here it is. The greatest love gives people what they need, not what they deserve. The greatest love gives people what they need, not what they deserve. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says this. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever love has fulfilled the law. Now, according to Scripture, uh, there's nothing wrong with being in debt, but if you are in debt, uh, I think Scripture would say if you can get out of debt, that's the best move for you. And so you should pay off the school loans, okay? You should pay off the furniture you finance from Mattress Mac, okay? (laughs) Unless you bet on the Astros last year to win the World Series, then you got free furniture, I guess. So, uh, but, But you should pay things off. You should pay off the truck. And if you can, you should pay off the house. But there's one debt that you and I can never pay off, and that is the debt to love. And so what what does that mean? Well, uh, uh, it means that love is a permanent obligation we owe to every single person we encounter, whether they deserve it or not. In other words, uh, we never get to a place where we stop loving people. But this, this can be challenging for men because a lot of men I know kind of stick to the things that they do well. You know, men stick to the things that, that, they, that they're good at. In fact, if somebody tries something new for the first time and it doesn't go well, they, they may not try that thing again. And, and that's true when it comes to loving people as well. For example, uh, uh, if we try and give advice to one of our kids or if we try and buy a gift for our spouse, but, but the love that we're trying to give, if it's not received in the way that we had hoped, there's a temptation for many of us to just stop trying. But God would say, never give up. Never stop trying. Always do your best to give people what they need. Last Saturday, right here at the 288 campus, we hosted a conference uh, called the Blended and Blessed Conference. It was for for blended families. Um, that, that, that means families that have stepkids and stepparents. And actually, about one-third of all households have, have some type of blended situation. And if, if you know anything about stepfamilies or if you are in a stepfamily, you know how challenging it can be. It can be challenging to manage the schedules. It can be challenging to deal with ex-spouses. It can even be challenging just to find space for everybody to sleep. Because when you blend everybody together, you might have five kids or seven kids or nine kids. And so it's like, man, where, where are we all sleeping? It could just be a challenge. But it can also be challenging to love your new family members well. And so one of the speakers shared a story about a stepdad who had a unique way of increasing his ability to love his family, especially his new family members, unconditionally. And this is what he would do. Every day when he would get home from work, he would park the car in the driveway. And before he would go in, he had a little exercise that he would do. He would turn his hands upside down like this 
and then turn them right side up like this. And as he would do that, he would, he would just pray a simple prayer. As he would turn his hands upside down, he would pray, God, empty out any negative thoughts, any negative feelings that I'm carrying inside of me, that I'm harboring from the day. Help, help just release me from any negative feelings that I might have towards somebody in my household. And then he turns his hands this way and he says, God, fill me up with your love. F fill me up with your agape love so that when I go inside the house, I can give my family what they need. And then when he's done with that prayer, he gets out of the car and he, he goes in and he just loves his family the best that he can. When, when, I, when I heard that, I thought, that is, that is so, man, I'm doing that tonight. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is so good. It's such a powerful visual uh, of, of the choice that we have to make every single day to love others well. And so maybe today you've, you've been having a hard time loving your family. Maybe you've been having a hard time loving your spouse. Maybe you're just having a hard time loving the neighbor who lets the barking dog out at 10.30 p.m. every night. I, I don't know who it is, right? I don't know who it is. But why not ask God to fill you with his agape love so that you can give them what they need, not what they deserve? You know, that's what Jesus did for us. He paid a debt he did not owe. He gave a gift we did not deserve. And he loves us unconditionally with his agape love. At this time, to just remember that and honor that, we're going to take communion together as a church family. I'm going to invite our campus pastors up on the stage. Uh, but before they come up, I'm going to read one final verse to you. It actually comes from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. This tells us how much God loves us. It said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why don't you stand? Take communion together as a church family. And, and just a moment of uh, transparency with you. In this room, we're being joined by the online campus. So whether you're from, uh, we got people from Tennessee, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, even the New Hopers over in Israel are, are joining us for communion. So we get to, we get to do that today, okay? I'm going to pray us through communion. Uh, we're going to take the bread first. We'll take the cup in just a moment. But the scriptures are pretty clear to us. This is a moment of reflection. And as Pastor John has just told us, man, sometimes it's hard to love people. So we're going to take a moment today and just say, God, for, first off, where do I need to repent of? What do I need to, to change in my life? But then we're going to take some time also and, and pray that God would help us to love people well. Okay, so take the bread in your hand. I'm going to pray for us. And as I'm praying, just do some reflection. Lord, thank you for this moment together as a church family. Those joining us online, those joining us overseas, God, thank you that one of the great things we get to do as a church is we get to come together and remember that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, that means that before we were even thought about, that, that you put your body in harm's way for us. And we remember that as we hold this bread in our hand today. That you stood between us and the danger of sin. And you stood between us and the danger of separation from you. And you physically put your body in between it. For us, God, while we were still sinners. And Lord, that also means that while we are still sinners, while we still sin, you still love us and you still gave your life for us. And so as we remember that you positioned yourself between us and death, we thank you, Lord, for that this morning. And we take the bread together. And then with the cup, Lord, we remember also that your blood was poured out for our freedom and our forgiveness.
And God, without the, without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So God, we're so grateful for that. And Lord, we want to take a moment together this morning and just say, God, what in my life do I need to stop and what in my life do I need to start? Where do I need to say yes to you today, God? While we are still sinning, you love us and you died for us. And so as we take the the cup and the juice together this morning, God, we're thankful. We're thankful for that freedom and that forgiveness that we find in you. And we repent of what we need to repent of and we pivot our life to be walking in the same direction you would have us to walk in. Lord, thank you for the shedding of your blood that brings us forgiveness. Would you take the cup with me? Thank you so much, guys. Um, I'm going to pray over us, and we're going to have some prayer partners up here. And if there's anything we can pray for you, with you about, if it's uh, you're having trouble loving somebody, if, if, you just, if you don't know Jesus and, and today you're going to take that step and, and come to faith in Christ, today's a great day to do that. Let me pray over us. Lord, thank you for the moment of reflection that we have. God, if, uh, I think if we're honest, every single person here could say, I can love everybody in my life, but I got this one person or two people that, man, they challenge me. And I want to quit. Lord, help us to say yes today to loving them again the way you loved us while we were still sinners. God, thank you for this chance that we had as a church family today to to celebrate communion and remember that you gave your life for us. Lord, as we go from here, help us to love people well. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, New Hope, we'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, I love you guys, and we'll see you next time. If you enjoyed the podcast, we encourage you to follow, share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.